So tonight, the theme for this talk is, does a Buddha get angry? It seems like this might be a useful thing to uh, think about because I, I think we've had about a four-year temper tantrum here in the U.S. Uh, tomorrow we have a new president coming in. We'll see what that does. But it you know makes me wonder, does a Buddha get angry? So let me just cut right to the chase and say that I'm not a Buddha, so I don't know firsthand. So if you want to get your money back and go home now, that would be uh, fine with me. But, you know, there are there are stories about the Buddha that might hint a little bit about whether a Buddha gets angry. There's a story about one time when the rains retreat was starting and a big, huge group of monks arrived to spend the winter retreat with the Buddha and they were unruly and loud. And the Buddha sent him away, told him, don't come back. Another time, uh, there's a story about the Buddha. Uh, there was a, a conflict in the Sangha and uh, he just up and left, walked away. So maybe, I don't know, maybe the Buddha got angry. I don't know, I wasn't in his body, I can't tell. But. You know, maybe that's not quite the right question. Maybe the question shouldn't be, does a Buddha get angry? Maybe the better question would be, how does a Buddha transform their anger? That might be more useful to us. And we know that the longer and more deeply we practice, the more we resolve our internal knots, the mental formations that we carry, that cause us to interpret life as something to be angry about. And so I suspect that if a Buddha does get angry, it probably isn't very often, and that they know what to do to tend to it when it does. Now, that's about Buddhas. What about us? What should we do with our anger? Because that's really the most important question. We can't really worry too much about a Buddha. We're not Buddhas yet. But we do have Buddha nature. And that makes us the same as the Buddha. The Buddha had Buddha nature. We have Buddha nature. So I think it's important for us to think about what we would do I want to tell a story. And this story is a famous Buddhist story. You've probably heard it many times. It has a lot to say about what to do with our anger. So I want to tell it. Even if it's familiar, it could be a really lovely bedtime story that you know. There was a woman who was out in the forest gathering berries. And as she's picking berries, she notices there is a tiger that's stalking her. So she screams, she drops her basket of berries, and she runs as fast as she can. The tiger chases her, and the tiger is much faster than a human. So she was afraid she was going to be eaten. As she's running, she sees that she's running out of earth to run on. There is a cliff edge in front of her. 
Her only choice is to go over the cliff. Luckily, as she goes over the cliff, she sees that there's a vine right there. She grabs the vine, she crawls down, and for a moment, she's relieved because she's out of reach of the tiger, who's now at the cliff's edge looking over, and she looks up and sees the tiger cannot reach her. Whew. But now what? She looks down, and she discovers this vine is not very long. It does not go all the way to the base of the cliff, which is filled with sharp rocks. If she were to crawl to the end of the vine and let go, she would crash to the rocks below and die. Death above, death below. To make matters worse, as she's hanging there on this vine, a mouse crawls out on the cliffside onto her vine and begins to nibble at it. Her days are numbered. Her hours and minutes are numbered. As despair begins to take over, she looks at the cliff in front of her and she sees a bright red strawberry. She reaches out, she picks the strawberry, she puts it in her mouth, and she had never tasted anything so delicious. Mm. What does this story have to tell us about practicing with anger? Well, we're not unlike the woman on the vine. The woman did not ask to be chased by a tiger. It just happened. We don't ask for anger to arise in us. It just happens. She couldn't climb back up the vine because there was the tiger waiting for her to devour her. And we can't climb back up the vine and pretend our anger is not there, just like she can't pretend the tiger is not there. I'll talk more about denial in a minute. Another way we're like this woman. We can't flee the tiger by climbing down the vine, just like she can't flee the tiger by climbing down the vine. Our anger cannot be run away from. We can't continue to climb down our vine by ruminating, yelling, lashing out, because we too will reach the end of the vine and fall. So her only, our only option was to reach out in the present moment and taste the strawberry growing on the cliff. And that is our only option as well to return to the present moment, to tend to our anger. We can't go up the vine to deny it's not there. We can't go down the vine to run away from it. All we can do is in the present moment, deal with things as they are, just like this woman did. Practicing with anger is a very, very subtle practice. Very subtle. I want to talk about two common pitfalls that we might find as we attempt to reach for the strawberry of our life while we're in the middle of anger. 
while we attempt to find our way back to the present moment, while anger has it in us in its claws. So those two common pitfalls are denial and indulgence. Denial and indulgence. So denial is pretending the tiger isn't there. Denial is really a common thing in our culture. Many of us live in the Northwest where there's Northwest nice. You know, even if we're mad, we're going we're gonna to smile and say, oh, fine, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. We have phrases like grin and bear it. I'm okay, really, I'm fine. Nothing wrong with me. We fake it till we make it. It's all about denial. And it's not just in the wider culture. Denial is a particular difficulty for spiritual seekers. We might say to ourselves, an awakened person doesn't feel anger, and since I want to be awake, or at least appear awake, I'd better not feel angry. So when anger starts to arise in us, push it down. Deny it. Try and run up the vine and pretend the tiger isn't there. We call this spiritual bypassing. We bypass something that's difficult and pretend that we got it all together. And spiritual bypassing is particularly a problem in our Plum Village Zen tradition. And so what do we do a lot in this tradition? We smile a lot, right? We smile. We talk a lot about happiness and about joy. We aspire to right speech and compassionate listening. So maybe we think, the people around me seem to not be angry. Maybe I should just smile and practice right speech and pretend I'm not angry when I really am. So we have to be real careful about denial in our tradition, in our type of practice. There's a saying that we, what we don't transform, we transmit. What we don't transform, we transmit. So if we as practitioners are denying our anger and we don't have the opportunity to transform it because we don't let ourselves see it, we will transmit it to others. We will impose it on them. As a result, we have practices for practicing really diligently with our anger. In the 14 mindfulness trainings, the trainings that you take when you become ordained in the order of interbeing, one of our trainings in part says this, when anger comes up, I am determined not to do or say anything, but to practice mindful breathing or mindful walking and acknowledge, embrace, and look deeply into my anger. So these are the words that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote when he developed these bodhisattva precepts for us to practice. And he was no stranger to anger. These words come from his own personal experience of how to practice with transforming his anger. 
if you think about his life, you think about the war he endured, the exile he endured, the betrayals, the societal collapse, the, the failures of the Buddhist organization into which he was ordained. All of these things happened to him. And he's a human being. You can imagine that he got angry about a lot of these things. He saw his friends being killed in the war. He himself feared for his life many times. So he knew anger. But he also learned to turn toward his anger and embrace it and transform it. That it was no good to try and deny his anger. It did not work. And he could see that in his very culture in Vietnam. He could see that in his uh, political life, there was anger and hatred going on and no one was listening. They were all just shooting at each other. Sounds an awful lot like what's going on right now in the U.S. So Tai wrote us some really beautiful words on how to practice with anger in his poetic way. The very title of the book we've been studying the last few months, Peace is Every Step. That is about not denying our anger. Peace isn't when you arrive somewhere else. Peace is every step. Even when you're angry, you can find peace in every step. He, he taught that the way out is in. The way out of anger is not to flee it, but to turn, embrace it, and thereby give it a chance to be transformed. The Buddha himself had great teachings about how to practice with anger. In the myth of his awakening, when he sits under the Bodhi tree, the myth says that Mara comes to visit and tempts the Buddha with all manner of things to get him to not uh, follow through on his aspiration to transform. And one of the things that Mara does is Mara brings a vision of an army coming to attack the Buddha. Now, I've never been attacked by an army, but I can imagine if there are arrows flying at me and swords coming for me, I would be angry, right? And I might react. I might react with anger and self-protection. But in the myth, in the story, it says that the Buddha takes the arrows that are coming towards him and turns them into flowers. Now, I don't believe that the Buddha actually turned arrows into flowers, but I think it's pointing at what he did in his heart. He took what could be a reason for anger and he transformed it into something beautiful. He symbolically met anger with understanding and love. So we have really good teachers that teach us how not to deny our anger. So that's one side, one of the pitfalls. The other pitfall that I want to talk about is indulgence, indulging our anger. 
indulging our anger is another of our societal customs. So I can think of a whole host of movie stars, mostly men to this point, but now we're starting to see some women that do this too. People like Clint Eastwood and Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who made careers out of playing angry, violent people who nurse a grudge for years and then take out some sort of violent, self-righteous revenge. Right? This is a this is a cultural meme. This is what sometimes what we really think of as a real man. You know, can can do this kind of revenge violence with their anger. But it's not just those guys, you know. Uh, we do it too. We might get so mad we pound on our pillows or or give that person a piece of our mind or honk our horn and flip our middle finger at somebody who didn't do what we liked on the road. And all this is in the hope that indulging our anger will make us feel better. And in some sense, we do for a minute. You know, we release some energy and it does feel does feel better for a while. But the anger itself hasn't been transformed. It's just like we let a little steam out of the steam steamer pot, you know, and the pressure went down. But the fire's still on the pot. The steam is still building up again. And maybe we've even made it worse because we have simply rehearsed our anger when we vented it that way. But indulgence can be much more subtle than our acting out of our anger. We can also act in our anger. So instead of turning it out and acting it out, we can turn our anger in and act it in instead. And there's a lot of ways we can do this, but I want to talk a little bit about one way that I think is pretty common, and that's rumination. Rumination is when we turn the story over and over in our head, again and again and again. And every time we do this, we blame a little bit more, we demonize the other one a little bit more. We replay that situation over and over and over, and we say the things we wish we'd said. Boy, I wish I'd said that. Oh, man, that jerk. Or we wish what we wish we hadn't said what we said, and we and we ruminate about our sort of guilty feelings about our our angry outburst. And we try to do this. What we try to do when we do this is gain a sense of control by retelling that story again and again, convincing ourselves that we were totally right and they were totally wrong. Sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. <clears throat> this is a particularly unwanted visitor of mine in the middle of the night. I seem to be um, sometimes defenseless against this visitor, this rumination, this turning, acting in of my anger. And I know it doesn't work. I know it leads me to suffering. 
and it is so hard to turn it off. Hmm. Wow. There's a fallacy in ruminating that's really important to get, and that's this. Stories don't explain our suffering. They cause our suffering. Stories don't explain our suffering. They cause our suffering. We think that in telling the story over and over and over again, we're explaining why we're so unhappy. But it's in the telling of the story itself that we are causing our unhappiness. That event that we're ruminating about, it is no longer happening. It only exists in our mind. At that moment, what we're ruminating about cannot actually harm us. We think that our suffering is coming from the event. But no, it comes from our story about the event. So why is this true? A story always exists in the past or in the future. Because a story has an arc in time. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end to our story. It always has an arc in time. But the present moment has no timeline. There is no timeline in the now. There's just now. And now. And now. So a story can't exist in the present moment. It's only when we time travel, we take ourselves to the past and ruminate about that thing that happened back then, or we go to the future and we ruminate about what we wish we could do in the future, how we could rectify and solve this great injustice that we're ruminating about. But if we're in the present moment, there's no room for a story. So in my case, in the, in the middle of the night, when rumination comes to visit me, I have to recognize that I am going into the past and ruminating about something that happened. And it feels like right now it's happening and it's in my it's 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 my total suffering but when i finally find my way back to the present moment i realize there is nothing here except that rumination to disturb me and when i drop the rumination my sheets are nice and warm and soft and the pillow is so comfortable and that big boogeyman that i've been ruminating about is a fantasy. So when we're ruminating or plotting our revenge, it's not explaining our suffering. It's causing our suffering. And this is very important for each of us to see for ourselves. And I would highly recommend that you bring this into your experience and you test this out for yourself. See if your story is actually explaining your suffering 
or see if the very act of nursing that story and ruminating on it is what is causing your suffering. Until you know that for yourself, it's very, very difficult to transform our anger because we feel justified in acting our anger in by ruminating and plotting and planning. And even if we don't act it out by going and and harming someone or yelling or having a tantrum, we're still harming ourselves by acting it in. So there we are, like the woman in the story, hanging on the vine with no escape. There we are. We can't go up the vine and deny that our anger exists. That doesn't work. We can't indulge our anger by climbing down the vine until we climb so far that we fall off the end and crash down on the rocks below. Acting out in that way, or acting in in that way, will not work. The only thing we can do is come back to the present moment. That's it. Just like the woman reached out and grabbed the strawberry and tasted a strawberry for the very first time because she was fully present to it, we can reach out and embrace our anger. Embrace the very physical, bodily feeling of what anger feels like in our body. That's where we can transform it. That's where we can see, oh, this is what anger feels like in me. It feels like a collapsing of my chest. It feels like a gritting of my jaw. It feels like a hunching of my shoulders. Whatever it is for you, you find that for you. You know what anger tastes like in your own body. And right there, you embrace it with kindness and compassion. You hold it like a baby. Know that you're, and you give it your full attention, full tantrum, calms down. That's or acting out. This is hard work. I mean, this is really hard work. As my grandmother used to say, this is not for sissies. This is not easy. It's not pleasant. But there's no alternative. The woman on the vine had no alternative. She wouldn't have tasted that strawberry on any other day, in any other moment. Transforming our anger in this way requires that we walk a subtle knife's edge between denying what's happening and indulging our harmful responses to what's happening. It's a knife's edge. A little too far one way or the other, and we suffer. So we sit on that knife's edge and we say, is anger present? 
and you see, yes, anger is present. And once you know it's present, then you know that you can't go the other direction and indulge it, act it out, or act it in. You sit on the knife's edge. You sit on the uncomfortableness of your anger being there, and you offer it love. You offer it kindness. You give it its chance to be there until it needs to, until it resolves itself. But you know, even though it's painful to sit on the edge of the knife, there is no alternative. If you go to either side of the knife's edge, you're locking yourself into a life of further anger. It's simply not effective. It's hard, but you can do it. And you know why you can do it? Because you are a Buddha. You are a Buddha. You have Buddha nature. Our teachers before us have known this and they've taught us this way. They've had to discover it for themselves. They're Buddhas. You're a Buddha. You can do this. So this is how a Buddha transforms their anger. 